It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And welcome back in. 508-996-0500. We will talk uh, with Council President Linda Morad and Councilor at Large Shane Burgo coming up. Uh, at the at the ten thirty mark, we will uh, discuss with them a number of things, including their reaction to the city's comprehensive housing plan. We will talk with uh, certainly talk with Councilor Morad. If you haven't seen the story at wbsm.com and on the app, she replied to the veto, or responded, I should say, to the veto letter from Mayor Mitchell regarding the Community Preservation Act, and um, you can read her letter in its entirety. You can read again if you haven't read it yet. I also included Mayor Mitchell's veto letter uh, in the story so you can click on the links and read those in the story at WBSM.com and on the app. But you know we, we like to summarize it for you so if that's all that you have to read you certainly um, can do so. And it's interesting because you know I, I think she took a a, a, a a less combative tone then you might say that the mayor took. You know, the mayor, as we, we've characterized the mayor's letter as strongly worded. And I think that uh, Council President Morad was a little bit more um, reserved in her comments, but she certainly threw back into the mayor's face some of the points that he made about the way that he felt that the business was being done. And she said that she she could say the same about the way that the CPA was approved by the voters in 2014, that the way it ended up on the ballot and the way that uh, there was no discussion about it other than asking the people. And that's the point that she has in the letter is that, you know, you didn't require the city council to do all kinds of work about whether or not to justify keep, uh, you know, accepting into the Community Preservation Act program, yet you just left that up to the to the people to vote on. And now you're saying that the people shouldn't be allowed to just vote on whether or not to keep it. So it's it's a pretty interesting letter, and we will certainly get her reaction a little bit further uh, when she calls in a bit. We've got a lot of stuff that we can talk with uh, Council President Morad and Councilor Burgo about, so we'll try and get as much of it as we can into the half an hour that we have with them. But don't forget that Council President Morad will be with us next Thursday morning in the 10 a.m. hour. She's going to be here in studio to take your phone calls. So all the questions that you've wanted to call in and ask her over the last couple of months, you'll be able to do that next Thursday morning uh, in the 10 o'clock hour. Also, a little bit later on, I'm still trying to decide how I want to talk about this and if I want to talk about this, but we may we may have uh, the 11 o'clock hour. We may be able to discuss a little bit of an update of the Freetown Lakeville School, school Committee race. Uh, Kayla Churchill made a post in one of the Freetown groups last night that has since been removed. Now, I'm not sure if it is by the admins or if it was by her directly. Uh, anybody that's in the know on that can can reach out to me and let me know. But uh, the post was taken down. But before that, she had explained that the reason why she had missed the candidates night was because she was praying about some information she had about a school committee member who was not on the ballot this time around. And uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll get into all of that. 
But uh, for now, let's go to the phones, 508-996-0500. Good morning. You were on WBSM. Hi, Tim. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. Um, so many things to say. Uh, I like the idea about the schools, the old schools being used uh, as housing, um, especially like that. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about the plans and the ideas. Um, I, I read uh, Jack Spillane's uh, article this morning in New Bedford Light about um, the city council uh, and uh, his in the, the referenda, uh, how he felt about them, including also his conclusion that the um, that he's been hearing uh, that the term there need to be term limits, number of times the city council can serve. Uh, and as I think you know, I, I definitely am in favor of that. Um, I guess one burning question I have for Council Morad, and, and I will try to get on next week. Who knows? I think the lines might be jammed. Catherine, I could have um, you co-host with me next Thursday with the amount of questions <laughs> you have for Oh, that would be fun. Um, <laughs> um, is where is this groundswell of, of phone calls uh, that she keeps talking about the will of the people? I would like to know how many has she recorded the number of times people have called uh, about any any issue. I think uh, city council should. I think it's a pain in the neck probably to do that kind of keep that kind of record. But I think it's important because I think it's a bunch of baloney. I don't think she's getting uh, this. Um, all of these calls about uh, um, the mayoral term, I resent as a voter having voted in favor of uh, the increased uh, from two to four years. I think the mayor needs it uh, in order to handle city business well, unlike city councilors who have each other uh, to work with. There's one mayor. There are, what, now 11 other city councilors, six and five, yeah. Um and I also resent that the CPA uh, fund uh, monies are uh, being raised again in a referendum that I also voted in favor of and others. It, you know, it, it seems like if the vote isn't, hasn't gone the way um, Morad and a couple of others want it to go, then she'll raise it as, oh, are you sure? Do you want to vote again? Uh, that's what it seems like. And I find it... Um, very disrespectful to voters and I like I said I would love to hear from her exactly how many people have called her complaining about any of these issues I, I think it's a bunch of well problems. yeah she she'd even said to us um, a few weeks ago that she she believes it may be possible that you know it could be some of the same people calling again and again do you think yeah that'd be my guess um, if, if even that is so um, so uh, there was something else, but now I've forgotten. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, it, it just, uh, it, it's terrible what's been happening with the city council, and I wish things could be different with them. I don't think they're going to be with the people who are currently in, some of them anyway. So mm -hmm. that's my question to her. You know, how many people? And if she really cared about the will of the people, when they reduce the the uh, salary increases from 50 to 60 percent to 25 they would have gone, gone down to 10 yeah no absolutely all right yeah. i thank you oh. for the call thank you have Bye. a good day let's uh let's, oh sorry didn't mean to cut you off there Catherine. let's take another call here good morning you're next on wbsm 
Hey, Tim. Um, I'm a resident of Freetown Lakeville, and I just wanted to, um, first of all, thank you for um, speaking about our district. And I know you've spoken a lot about um, the school committee race, but we also have another important ballot question that we need to um, vote on, and mm-hmm. that's regarding um, the Bristol Plymouth Regional School District. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. I am. So, so, so tell, tell, the, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about what that question is all about. So right now, the students in Freetown don't have a really good vocational option. Um, in the past, I think we've had a sort of handshake agreement with Old Colony, um, but that kind of fell apart a few years ago. And the Lakeville students still have the option to go to Old Colony, but the Freetown students do not. So there was a committee put together, um, did a bunch of research, looked at the different vocational options in the area, and decided that um, BP would be the best option for us. Um, so there was a ballot um, question or there's a town meeting question last year about whether or not we should join the district. And that passed, you know, overwhelmingly. But now the question is, how do we pay for it? <laughs> so and, and have you have you sensed any kind of uh, indication of how the voters might go with this? So I think they're going to vote yes on question one. And it comes down to the fact that Bristol Plymouth has this building project, right? Because um, they're expanding. And as a member town, we have to absorb our costs in that. So we can't really, it's not in the budget. It would be cataclysmic to, um, to the town's operating budget. So we need to have a debt exclusion. And that's the question on the ballot. So, you know, based on my research as a resident and as a parent with kids in the district, I would encourage everyone to vote yes for this. And I think that there's a town meeting from March 8th that's been shared on social media where, um, you know, the select board goes into it and the town administrator. And it seems like, you know, people are in favor of this. Yeah. Also, we had, oh, sorry, at our forum, at our forum the other night, um, that question came up and all the school committee members that were there in attendance supported it. There was a member of our finance committee there who got up and spoke in support of it. So I hope the residents pay attention and that they vote yes on one. And, and with all the questions and concerns that are coming up with vocational education, you know, this is something that you want to have settled now at this time before before there might be changes to enrollment procedures and things like that. Exactly. Exactly. And this is honestly, it seems like it's been kicked, this can't been kicked down the road for far too long. Now we have an option. You know, they've done the research. Uh, we've already voted on it as a town. I think there's only one other town that needs to vote. I think it's, mm, I forgot which town, Rehoboth maybe, that actually has to vote to accept us, but all of the other member towns have. So now it's just a matter of we need to pay our portion of this building project, which all the other vocational schools in the area do have upcoming building projects as well. So even if we elected to join somewhere else, we'd still have this problem. Um, it would be cataclysmic, the budget. Um, we don't want to lose town services. We already run really lean as a town. So we need the override. All right. Well, thank you for... Debt exclusion. Not override, debt exclusion. Thank you for uh, for calling in and for making the case. Oh, thank you. Have a good day. You as well. And uh, 508-996-0500 if you want to call in and chime in. And, and of course, uh, we we can talk more about the the Freetown-Lakeville school committee issue in the 11 o'clock hour. But that is important is that question. And, uh, you know, as I tried to characterize it yesterday when I was sharing what had happened Wednesday night at the, the candidates forum, 
it was more talk about that. It was more talk about, you know, the actual education of the children than it was about some of the stuff that's happening, um, you know, uh, along the sidelines here. And there was more of a focus on what people wanted to see happen, which, you know, to me, there was discussion about safety, but it was discussed in a matter of, you know, wanting to know what the plans were in place and as much as folks could say and wanting to know, you know, is this something that is being actively worked on? Uh, one of the incumbents, Jennifer Blum, said, you know, it's school safety is something that we're never, we're never going to be done with. Like it'll always be something that is an ongoing process. So, uh, you know, I thought there was a lot of thoughtful discussion on all of those issues and it is, it is a, a time of transition for, for that, for that school district. Uh, both with the vocational question and also with, you know, the expansion of people coming into town and, and having more students in there and how to educate them. And it's something that's happening across the South Coast, as I'm sure as you're hearing as Marcus is talking with the uh, different school committee members in uh, Fairhaven and Dartmouth and focusing on those races on South Coast tonight. These are many of the same problems that you're hearing in some of these other districts as well. So it certainly is something where uh, the work... That the, that those and it's thankless work. It is. It's somebody even pointed that out at the meeting. You know, it's a thankless job to be on the school committee because a lot of people want to criticize what you do, but they don't necessarily want to show up to learn how it is that you do it. We saw a lot of that happen with you know concerns over what's being taught in schools. Parents show up to to protest because they hear that uh, oh they're teaching you know critical race theory or they have gender queer in the school library or what have you, but they're not there when the decisions decisions are made on actual policy. They're not there when the decisions are made about, you know, who to hire as the superintendent. Uh, they, they, they're not there when, when the school committee is, is advocating and fighting for more budget to be able to, to bring in, you know, different learning materials. So it's really easy to, to, to criticize and to show up when you have an issue that you're passionate about. But are you ready to do the work that's involved? And and I think what we're seeing in the Freetown Lakeville race is you have a candidate that was a single issue candidate that didn't really have any substance on these other issues and seems to be backing away from the work that might be involved. That's what it seems like to me. Um, but again, we can talk more about that. I have to I have to keep considering how much I want to talk about it because she went after a sitting school committee member who is not up for reelection. And his personal life, and and I and I I don't. It's how much of that am I willing to, to discuss on the air, and how much do I need to, to make the point? So, maybe it is something that we will discuss, you know, that in depth. But we will certainly talk about it later on, uh, in the eleven o'clock hour. If you want to call in or chime in at any point during the show, 508-996-0500. We won't be taking calls when we're with the councilors. But again, as I mentioned before, New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad will be with us next Thursday. And she will be here answering your questions. So be ready to call in next Thursday. We're going to have her here for the entire hour. And I'm hoping that uh, that you will call in with your questions. If not, I'm, I know I can have a, a, a nice conversation with her for an hour, but you are the ones who asked for it. You are the ones who said we want to have an opportunity to ask her questions. And, uh, and so we didn't. If you, and if it works out and it works out well, maybe we can get her to come in, you know, semi regularly and, and, and do that. But as, uh, as my dad always say, said, let's just get through this today first. And then, then we can worry about what comes up next. So, um, 
He still says that every day, just trying to get through the day. And uh, so if you, you know, want to ask your questions via app chat and plan those ahead, you can. But this is this is your chance to directly call and have a conversation with the council president on the radio. You can you can do that any other time. She will take phone calls from constituents. But this is your chance to do it uh, on the radio and in a public forum. Uh, also, one other programming note for you as well uh, that um, next week, you know, we have Jack Spillane on Mondays. And I think a lot of you, if you haven't read his column in New Be- on NewBedfordLight.org today yet, you will certainly want to read that before the discussion on Monday because it's something that I think uh, a lot of you callers have been talking about. And, you know, I, I will ask the counselors what they, what they think about it. Uh, the, the question of whether or not there should be term limits for the city council. So you can read that. And we'll talk more with Jack about that uh, on Monday. But it's just uh, one, one of the many parts of this discussion, which uh, we will pick up in just a few moments. We'll be joined by New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad and Councilor-at-Large Shane Burgo. But right now, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with the counselors. Welcome back in. It is time, as we are joined each Friday at this time, by New Bedford City Council President Linda Morad. And joining her today will be Councilor-at-Large Shane Burgo. Good morning, Counselors. How are you? Morning, Good morning, Tim. Good to have you both here and, and, uh, and, and kind of timely too, considering we just, uh, spoke with Josh Amaral about the, uh, city's comprehensive housing plan. And, um, I wanted to get each of your take on it if you've had a chance to, to, to look it over and your thoughts on, on the announcement of it and, and what is contained in the plan. Um, I'll, I'll let you decide who wants to start. Well, I, I think, yeah, uh, thank you. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I am, I'll be honest with you, I'm very excited about a lot of the initiatives that, uh, have been lined out in the 22 point plan. Uh, I am a little disappointed that we didn't receive it ahead of time. Um, so I was, you know, reviewing it just as the rest, the rest of the public was. Uh, but there's a lot of good stuff in there, especially, I think, uh, I've spoken with you or others on WBSM about, uh, changes to our accessory dwelling units. It's definitely something I've been leading on, uh, something I've already sent to committee, um, as well as some of the zoning changes that we want to see around the MBTA. Um, and then I'm also glad to see um, just housing in general uh, being made a priority. Uh, and I, and I, I want to credit, I think, Josh Amaral for that, because I know um, he's been a strong advocate for housing for many years now, as we know. Um, and I, that's one of the main reasons why I was uh, excited to uh, confirm him in his new position, and I, I think he's going to do a lot of great things for our city. And, and so I, I, see a counsel, I see a Councilor Burgos' comments. Um, I have not read through the entire plan. I'm glad to know that he has. I was very disappointed about the way the council was advised of that, especially since the hoopla that's been going on over the last week and a half about the ballot item that Councilor Burgos put forward and the veto. But, um, you know, Maybe maybe those those types of things will get better going forward uh, with more spotlight on them. Um, going as I said, I con- concur with um, Councilor Burgos' comments about Josh Amaral. I've known him for a long time. Um, he's going to be a great replacement um, for Patrick Sullivan in that office, and we look forward to working with him, uh, trying to move some of these initiatives forward. Well, uh, Council President Moore, uh, part of the the plan will involve things that will uh, require council approval and uh, in, in looking at zoning changes and all kinds of other things. And it sounds like the, the the council as a whole is is open to discussing anything that might help with with this housing crisis. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We 
actually last week a couple of my colleagues, Councilor Carney, uh, put for, uh, with Councilor Carney put forward an idea about a couple of the nursing homes that we currently were using for COVID in the city. And uh, I spoke from the dais that night and said, uh, I welcome the zoning changes because in the North End anyway, I actually had a cash buyer who wanted to purchase the, uh, the old nursing home up here on Cushnet Avenue for exactly that purpose. But when he looked into the obstacles that would come in front of him as it relates to zoning, he walked away. So there are things that need to be done to make it easier for developers uh, to uh, consider properties and to move their projects forward. And I don't think the council will be an obstacle to that. Of course, the council will have concerns about neighborhood protections. We always do. Um, you know, you want to be sure that you're not disrupting the um, the area that it currently exists. But I'm sure there's a happy medium for everything. And one, I also want to get your reaction to, uh, we have the story up at WBSM.com and on the app, but uh, Council President Morad, you released a response yesterday to Mayor Mitchell's veto on the Community Preservation Act ballot question, non-binding ballot question. Yes, I did. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you putting it up. Um, I, I don't know that there's any more that I can say about that. I mean, I just, I, I tried to point out the inconsistencies of what the veto said versus what happened 10 years ago. And I strongly am concerned about why, um, you know, this sitting mayor is not interested in allowing people to have a voice. Uh, things have changed in 10 years. Uh, many people make a decision today and months, years from now, uh, decide that they want a different course. That's a non-binding question like the other two are. It's taking the temperature of the people in the city of New Bedford. And, you know, once uh, it comes out, whether it's, uh, positive or negative to looking at it. Um, maybe we look at different options. Maybe we look at an opt-out for the, if that's what the people want, we look at an opt-out for it. Um, those people that want to continue to contribute to it can, those that want to opt-out cannot. But that's all a conversation for down the road. This is just an asking question and I'm frankly shocked at the outrage um, of the administration and in doing the job of an elected official, which is listening to the people who elected me. I, I, I will say, you know, looking at the, the, the way that you discussed the way the vote happened, and you said it was a low vo voter turnout that year. I couldn't find the number for, for what it was in our archives. But it was it was like 49% to 41% approved, and there was, yeah. you know, the, there was, uh, the rest of the people had left the ballot blank. And you had mentioned, you know, with... The, that number of blank ballots being left and that margin of, of victory, that it does lead into question how much some people would want to keep it. I would actually argue, wouldn't, couldn't you say that about any election then? That if there's, oh, you yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can say that about anything, but 17,952 ballots were cast. 1,743 of them were blank. So, I mean, either the people... Uh, didn't wish to cast a vote, didn't understand the question. Um, you know, I'm not sure why people leave things blank uh, or why people, you know, vote for some things on a ballot and not everything else on the ballot. I'm not sure. But, uh, again, uh, it was 10 years ago, Tim. Life has changed. As I mentioned in my, in my comments, you know, people's taxes in the last 10 years in, under this administration have gone up 61%. So has the CPA surcharge because it's a percentage of that. Um, along with sewer and water bills and everything else. And, you know, maybe people want a second opinion about this, about 
uh, you know, the four-year mayoral term and also about, you know, whether they want rent stabilization within their city. I don't see anything wrong with asking the question. Well, you, you mentioned you mentioned the four-year mayoral term, and um, and I'll ask you both this. So Jack Spillane's column today echoes a lot of the sentiment that we've heard from some callers who have said, you know, why why isn't the council looking at possible term limits for the council? Why don't they put that out there to the public as a, as a non-binding question? Obviously, if people gathered the signatures to be able to place it on the ballot, they could do so. But the, the question is... Why wouldn't the council do that on on their own if they're willing to, you know, limit the power of the uh, limit the term of the mayor in that regard? Well, that's kind of a separate regard, but still. Well, I didn't read Jack's article, but uh, I'll be quiet in a minute, Council Burgo. But did he also recommend a term limit for the mayor? Um, I haven't read through the whole thing yet myself. So what? Uh, yeah, well, knowing Jack would be a double standard there, but. I'm sorry, Councilor Burgo, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, you know, uh, I, I definitely have heard those uh, concerns, even, you know, obviously before I was an elected official uh, discussing term limits. Um, I think even nationwide, that's a discussion we talk about often. Um, but, you know, what I will say um, is if, if we are, like, you know, as Councilor Morita brought up, if we're talking about term limits for the city council, we really need it for our entire government. And I, especially, I think one of the main reasons why I'll say I supported the ballot question in regards to the four-year mayoral term um, is, you know, people will use the example that the executive uh, branch and, uh, you know, like, for example, the president um, has a four-year term, but they have term limits, you know. So uh, to be able to have a situation where, you know, the, the excuse me, the city charter already creates an imbalance where the, the strong mayor, weak council format, and then you give that and balance even grows with the fact that now the mayor has a four-year insulation. And I think, you know, I don't know if this is true, but I like to just point out the fact that here's an election year and now housing is, you know, seeing the priorities in that place that it should be. Um, and so that's what I think about when we, when, for us counselors, when we're put to test every two years, um, is that's in a sense our term limit is going back to the voters to say, hey, can we renew for another two years based on the work that we've done? Um, and uh, I think that there's definitely an argument to be had about installing actual legal term limits, uh, but that's definitely a conversation uh, we, we could continue having. And I would agree with that comment, Council Burgo. In addition to that, Tim, you know, um, in my term on the council, uh, both as the ward councillor and as the at-large councillor, um, almost every ward race, almost and every year in the council at-large race, uh, there have been uh, candidates who have put their name forward uh, for the position. So it's not like uh, the state delegation, if you will, that generally runs unopposed. Uh, we have we have debate uh, in public forums with people that want the position, and as I said, the ward councilors and the at-larges have always, in my experience, there's been a couple cases where there haven't been a, co- a competitor, but for the most time, there's been a challenger to every ward and to the at-large people. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, people want term limits. I wouldn't have an issue with that if that happened to be. You know, I've been fortunate enough now to serve both as a ward councillor and as an at-large councillor for, in my uh, case, 20 years. I have um, no regrets about that length of service. I think I've served well, and, you know, people continue to elect me to the position. Um, If they wish me not to be in that position, they'll cast their vote at the ballot. And, and, and as you said, in those 20 years, you've you've had opponents who have run against you. And I, I, Jack has said here on the program and uh, that there is 
you know, when a, in a, especially in an at-large race, there's name recognition that after a while people just recognize your name and they vote for you. And and I think that you're, you're probably working a little harder to get people's votes than just that. Well, I mean, there's a positive and a negative to that. You know, uh, if you can listen to some of the callers that call your show, you'd wonder why, I'll speak for myself, why I ever got elected. You know, I'm the worst person <laughs> in the world. <laughs> um, you know, I don't do my job. I, you know, there's so many comments that are made. I, I oftentimes chuckle. But I just, you know, uh, I don't know. You tell me. Uh, it, it could be name recognition or it could be the fact that the people that are there um, actually do a good job. Uh, this is not an easy job. I'm not looking to get credit, so I don't want the next caller to say, oh, well, well this is not an easy job. Um, there's an, as you have come to know, Tim, there's an awful lot that goes on that doesn't revolve around the two meetings of a month that are related to the city council it, uh, itself. Um, you know, we're in committee almost every night during the week. There's commitments for zoning boards and planning boards and traffic commissions, water boards. I mean, we're, all of us are, all of us that do the job correctly are, are always out somewhere doing something. So, yeah, and if, if I could expand on that too, it's, sure. um, you know, in terms of um, the, the term limit discussion that we were just having, um, oh my God, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, uh, so um, when it comes to You're voting, too young too, for like, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, to Councilor Morat's point about, uh, you know, name recognition and things like that, you know, I, I'll be the first one to tell you I was not favored to win the at large race my first year. Um, I was new. Uh, to the, you know, citywide politics, that is. Um, and I know I was told on multiple occasions that this just isn't my year. And if I keep my name out there, if I keep trying, um, and I think really, you know, a big part of that was, you know, obviously my voter outreach, door knocking, and building that momentum into election time. So uh, there's a lot to say to the, you know, for candidates that really are pushing uh, to get their message out there and resonate with the people. Um, I think the better discussion could be around, um, the name placement on the ballot, because I know there's a lot of arguments I hear about having the incumbents listed uh, in the, you know, in the beginning. Uh, and a lot of times people who are just going through the motions will go and they'll vote for the first five. So I've heard that argument. Uh, but I, I just I feel as though the term limit uh, rush only happens when there's usually um, a situation where people are upset about a particular one issue that they'll eventually realize is not as big of an issue when it comes time to vote again. Well, um, I want to move to, you know, getting back kind of to the housing housing plan. One of the things that Josh was talking with us and is in the plan is the desire to take a lot of these older school buildings and develop them, have them be developed into housing as the school is replacing its aging schools. And uh, and I know, Councillor Burgo, that you are um, the council's representative on the site selection for the new Duval School. And if you can talk about that project and what, what that will mean, not only to the students that will go there, but also maybe to the future of the current building as well. Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, right now we're looking at uh, three different options. So we, we have the Duval School as it is um, and, you know, essentially fixing that building up and bringing it to something that is really great for not only the students, but the teachers as well, the educators that are there to make it easier for them to, you know, educate our future uh, youth. Um, but then the other option, too, is to uh, build a whole new structure on a um, – abutting land. I believe it's the uh, former Goodyear site. So last night the, the council actually took a vote um, essentially to enact one of the uh, national laws, I think it's Chapter 30B, uh, essentially waiving the RFP process because in this case obviously a school has to be within a certain you know zip code of an area for those uh, neighboring students, I mean 
neighboring students. Um, so last night was the first process in that step to really build a new school. And it, depending on, uh, you know, the, the cost analysis that we see, it might be cheaper to actually build a brand new school as opposed to trying to repair um, and uh, fix up the current Deval school. But like, you know, to your point, if we end up going with the option where we build on a new site nearby, that Deval school could be something that we could turn into uh, a public housing or housing in general, one four stores. And it, that's a that's a win-win because not only are the students getting a state-of-the-art school that will now last them. I mean, I know I know that the stuff we're building now doesn't last nearly as long as the stuff they were building then. But also, you know, creating that 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 additional housing will help as as people will want to move into that neighborhood to be able to put their kids into a brand new school. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's true. But the other side of that is that 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 building is structurally unbelievable um and there have been examples and i i don't know council burgo if you went on the tour i know that council Pereira went on the tour uh of the of existing buildings that had been retrofitted if you will and expanded to modern uh school facilities and so there's a way to do it as well and it's been done before in different communities where you're preserving the historic nature of of the building and that beautiful rock solid building i mean the i venture to say that the ball school that's you know 100 years old is better structurally than the campbell school or the philosophy school in the north end i mean they you don't build them like that anymore so there is something to be said to you know working with the existing structure maybe acquiring some land that surrounds that building expanding the building and building a state-of-the-art school uh, in conjunction with the building that you currently have. But that's up to the building uh, uh, committee and the site selection committee and the school department, and they will bring their recommendations forward to us. I wouldn't imagine that it would be um, soon. I would imagine it would be a few months from now, and they'll bring their recommendation forward, and that'll be the next step. And, and, and looking at housing and, uh, and and switching over to the north end of the city, of course, we have about 30 people who have been displaced by the fire that happened this week on a cushioned avenue. There was uh, two people who perished in that fire. But as you know, as I said to the mayor on Wednesday, you never want to have to look at a situation like this and try to find a positive outlook. But if there was one, it is the way in which our first responders, our fire department, our emergency personnel responded to that. And it could have been a far worse situation than it, than it turned out to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we, we take for granted our, our first responders until something like that happens. And then we realize what they really, what they really do for the city. I think I might have mentioned this. I hope to get this for my younger counselors soon. Uh, we went to the fire department's training facility several years ago. They suited us in their suits, tanks, face masks, um, boots, equipment, et cetera and then took us into a burning structure so that we get an idea of what it is they encounter. Uh, they put us up on the aerial ladders. They made us lug the hoses. Um, it's just unbelievable. And then that, in conjunction with uh, the coordination with our police, with our um, uh, emergency management, our emergency medical, our um, you know director of animal control, all those people working together and then add all the surrounding communities. It was an unbelievable, uh, very professional, well-done operation. And, and Councilor Burgo, I don't know if you want to add anything. 
Uh, yeah, no, I think she's, uh, Council Moore has put it perfectly. You know, uh, I, I, we cannot thank the uh, first responders enough, and, and it just goes to show how important um, uh, our city employees work to keep us safe. Um, and then even, you know, after uh, getting us out of harm's way, the work that the city does uh, to make sure that those families that have uh, been displaced uh, find shelter uh, and, and are able to, to continue living here in New Bedford. In, in, in somewhat, oh, sorry, go ahead. No. I was going to say, in somewhat happier news, Councillor Burgo, uh, this weekend is going to be a very special one for the Cape Verdean community in the city. Yes, we're very excited uh, to be welcoming uh, uh, President Neves to uh, New Bedford. Uh, He'll be here uh, tomorrow. Uh, He'll be starting off his visit at uh, the Cape Verdean Veterans Hall, um, actually right across the street from my house. Um, at 561 Purchase Street. Um, You're hosting breakfast, right, Councilor? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'll let my grandmother know to put some extra plates out. But, yes, so, you know, it's a a, uh, wonderful opportunity, uh, you know, to meet with the the president of Cape Verde. He was the former prime minister. He he has visited New Bedford previously in his role as prime minister. Um, So this is the first time as president he'll be here uh, visiting us. And then at the end of the... um, Day he'll be joining us at the Cape Verdean Association Gala, um, and it will be very. Um, I think you know. I think it's just a unique situation a lot for us Cape Verdeans uh, in this community to be able to have that connection uh, to our home country, and it will be nice to welcome here to New Bedford to see the, the thriving Cape Verdean community. Yeah, and I, I think the Cape Verdean community across the South Coast is, you know, they're they're. I I look to them as being like this is. Uh, emblematic of what the people of the South Coast are like. Uh, a tight-knit community, hardworking, and, you know, but when they, when they celebrate their culture, they celebrate right. We have, <laughs> we have the Cape Verdean Festival in, uh, in Onset every year, and it's, it's always just a, a wonderful time to, to, uh, to celebrate the culture and to celebrate the people here be, that, um, that continue on those traditions. Yes, I think that New Bedford, uh, especially, is so unique when it comes to the cultural celebrations we have. You know, obviously with the Portuguese feast as well, um, I believe it's the number one feast in the world. Um, and I know that sounds dramatic, but it act, I believe that if I correct me if I'm wrong, it's the number one uh, festival for Portuguese heritage or Madeiran heritage specifically in the entire world, which I think is so great that our city is able to celebrate these various cultures that we have all together in, in somewhat of a melting pot. And and we do on a regular basis, all of them. Some of them more public than others, but I mean, you know, we in, in addition to the celebrations, as you may or may not know, Tim, I think you do. We raise flags on a pretty regular basis of all the various groups in our city that are celebrating something. And uh, I missed that during COVID because we didn't do it for a while. But it's very nice to have it back now to have people be able to come out and you know and celebrate their community. Uh, with a flag raising, it's just it's just very nice. We don't always all all of us always go to the celebrations like we're going to do this weekend, but uh, just to have that opportunity for a half hour or so to uh, thank the various groups in our city for being here and for their uh, con- contribution to our city, it's just wonderful. And I also, in the final few moments that we have here, I want to thank you both for, for having the media in as part of the uh, Committee on Appointments and Briefings on Tuesday and having, uh, I know that uh, we were there, you know, and Michael Rock, myself, Kate Robinson, Phil Devitt, uh, Channel 6 was there, Channel 12 was there, to, to kind of 
have a little bit of our say as to as to why things are the way they are with news coverage, but also it was great to hear all of the counselors discuss how they understand the challenges that we face here in this business. Yeah, it was, it was a very good session. We appreciate you all coming, and I thank you. I, I heard you earlier this week uh, make some positive comments about that session. I appreciate that. Uh, we're just trying to be sure that we work together to give the best spotlight to the not only New Bedford but to the surrounding area and whatever we can do to help, and hopefully we might get a, another regional office down here of one of the major networks that would help us not only promote what's going on in New Bedford, but in our surrounding community. I think that would be very important. It was great when it happened in the past, and we'd like to see if we can get that happen to happen again. And uh, I'm glad you came to our chamber. I hope you think it was a beautiful place. It is gorgeous. Uh, the you know the stained glass and the way the chamber is set up, and we enjoy our home, and we appreciate that you came that night. And, and Councillor Burgo, I don't know if this is true. I heard you're pushing for Channel 5 to come to the city to get you a spot on community auditions so you can sing and be the star of the day. Is that true? No? Well, I never thought of that, but now I guess we'll have to look into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what I will say is just when it comes to uh, the media, I, I was glad that we had that opportunity to meet with all of you uh, to really show that, you know, there's no, um, you know, adverse relationship that we have where, uh, it's us against them or vice versa. I think we all play a, a unique role in our city government and uh, getting out to the people and, and keeping them informed. So I'm glad to, to show that relationship is actually strong and that there's no actual ill will towards each other. Yep. And uh, in just the final moment, we have uh, Councilor, uh, Council President Moore, and you'll be back with us next week both on Thursday to answer people's calls and be here in studio with us and on Friday with, with uh, Councilor Pereira. I'll be here both times. Aren't you lucky, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're the one that has to deal with me two days in a row. Be careful which. Uh, yeah. which well, actually, it's what the it's what the callers wished for, but you're gonna you're gonna be the one that has to suffer through it. So. Yeah, it's not a problem. I mean, in the past, I had been a frequent visitor into the station uh, to take calls. And, you know, obviously, I'm going to open my show with my phone number because I certainly get a lot of calls at home. And your listeners don't have to wait uh, for me to have to come into the studio to give me a call. My phone number is public. And if I'm here, I answer it or I return the call. So I would be more than happy to speak with them, not only with you next Thursday, but whenever they call. All right. Thank you both, and uh, I hope that you both have a great weekend. You Thanks. too. You as well. Thank you, Councilor Burgo. All right. That is Council Council President Linda Morad and Councilor at Large Shane Burgo. We have to take our final break of the hour. We'll be back in just a few moments. All right. We only have about a minute before we're going to be going into the newsroom. All of the national and international headlines uh, with ABC News. I'm sure they'll have the latest on the Trump indictment. And by the way, I, you know, just in case anybody's wondering, I'm sure somebody's going to call up and want to ask me about it. Um, I'm not really celebrating anything. I don't think that it's a celebratory thing. And also, uh, let's wait and see what happens because is this going to stick around? I'm seeing a lot of legal experts um, on, you know, stations of all different uh, perspectives saying that uh, they're not really sure that the stuff that's contained in this indictment will stick, but also it depends on what might be in there that we don't know about. So we'll have to see if on Tuesday when it's unsealed, if it's unsealed, uh, 